still Orthodox Church, Catholic churches today still basically it's, it's the same thing. But it was a lot worse because they, they had tremendous power. I just wanted to put a few highlights because I decided how can you, how, how do we really give honor to what God did and why the Reformation happened, the fruits of it, in basically less than an hour. <laughs> really kind of wanted to dive in any singular event. It'd take a lot longer than that. But I want us to understand the things that were at stake here. First of all, the Catholic Church had become immensely powerful. It was the power in all of Europe. It, it, it owned roughly a third of all the land in Europe. Just think about that for a minute. It appointed kings and queens. You know, it had great power. But we think a lot, we think a lot of the names of Luther, uh, Calvin, Zwingli, and they are. You know, they, they are men that God used greatly and they started it. But there was a reason that it took off like it did. Because God has always had his faithful. And I just want to mention some back, uh, some that stick out. I might mispronounce this word, but Abelgensis <laughs> in France, Italy, and Spain. But their main thing was right that they believed that all the people had a right. They preached the word. They remained faithful to it. They, they were against the, the corruption hierarchy of the Catholic Church against the relics, they, they preach against that. Of course, a lot of people didn't realize, starting in the early 12, 1220s, and for the next 100 years, they were greatly persecuted, you know, until they were eventually wiped out. People forget that throughout the years. It wasn't just that the Catholic Church attacked the Reformation once. It really caught on fire throughout Europe. Another group, they did the same thing to the Waldensons in the mid-1300s. Whitecliffe, Whitecliffe, they, they didn't murder when he was alive. But God used him greatly. And one of his great crimes, well, uh, putting the, you know, in England, putting the Bible in English in their native tongue so they could read it. What a horrible thing. But God protected him. But after uh, they started the Counter-Reformation, they saw it took off. They later dug up his bones, crushed him, burned him, and spread him throughout all over Europe, and that is a sign, no, this isn't allowed, because a man named John Huss got hold of that fire. And you could say that he was really the Martin Luther of the 1400s. But they, they got a hold of him. They, they, they promised him protection. They promised him safe passage to come and you know, to come and defend his views, and they turned on that. And they not only burned him, they burned him and hung him. You know, in his great crime, he believed the people had a right to read the scriptures themselves. And also coming against all the, all the, the relic worship, the saint praying to saints, the saints worship, the hierarchy of the church, the, the total corruption of the church, against all of that, but right, you didn't come against their power. They put you to death. And so we need to keep that in mind when, when we think of today, a lot of us get accused and we call ourselves like 
reformers because we keep on reforming. When we bring up names like Luther, Zingley, Zwingli, Huss, Calvin, many of us and maybe many of you here I know have been accused of like idol worship for even like mentioning these men. Well, God predominantly mentions men in Scripture: Job, uh, Samuel, you know, Daniel. Right? What was it? Was God idolizing? Isn't we just mentioned that, hey, they, they were faithful men that God used. Of course, it's all to his glory. But it's, you know, we need to remember that these people kept that. But I wanted to mention a few things we, we can owe directly to fruits of the Reformation. Because keep in mind, they also kept the, the, the learning from the people. They, they, didn't, they were against that. The people were starting, you know, to learn. It was a time of enlightenment. And along with this came the printing press came the people bringing the scriptures all around the time that Martin Luther came upon the scene. And after it was all said and done, after the great crushing, the attempted crushing of it by the counter-reformation of the Roman Catholic Church, which, by the way, to this day they don't apologize for, but approximately they murdered two million Protestants, mainly for the, the great offense of possessing Bibles, and uh, questioning the authority of the Pope. That was their crime. Popes would give people power to grant salvation, right? Forgiveness of sins to anyone that would get on their side and help hunt down and kill Protestants. We can imagine, I mean, we really can't unless you've been in there. You know, we, we understand like in China... Uh, in North Korea, we see in other countries, you know, our brethren today are under great persecution. But could you imagine that these men that some even now look back, you know, and they, they even mock these men that just all the men, they're faithful. I think of those Chinese, our Chinese and North Korean and other, many other brethren, they remain faithful, right? God keeps his own. He always has, he's always has a remedy, as has a remnant today. But what we owe to this, oh, to these men like them and what they did, the fires of it, but of course all glory to God, we owe to God. The foundation of fundamentalism, they bought it back, right? First of all, salvation is in, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, right? In his name and his finished work alone. Works are a fruit of being born again, being born of the Spirit. Or are fruits of our salvation already given us as a free gift through faith in Christ. Amen. And we can owe the foundation of fundamentalism to that. And not only the independence and authority of the local church, we directly owe that to fruits of the Reformation. We directly own, you know, the doctrine of the priesthood of believer that every one of us as a believer has direct access to God through Christ. And we can pray for others, for ourselves. We can sing to God. We can... We can come before God at any time, anywhere, without the mediation, needing the mediation of an ordained priest of the Catholic Church. You know, and the fact that right, man cannot forgive sins. Only Christ can. We can thank that, that even to this day, the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. Amen? <laughs> Amen. That... It's not that they taught, and what had become that no, 
the church, the Pope was the head of the church. And of course, even at, at one time, there were three popes. <laughs> that was really interesting. But that actually you could not, you had to stay in the good grace of the Roman Catholic Church in order to be saved and to retain your salvation. We can, the Bible in our native tongue, we can, we can, we owe that directly to the fruits of the Reformation. The importance of mass education. They were against that because you can't have the native people understanding the Bible on that because they even knew that contradicted their traditions. And, and they lost their power. But we, we owe so many more to men like Wycliffe and Huss and John Waldo, the Waldensians, and Martin Luther. But in eventually we owe it all to God. But right just like today, he still uses faith, faithful men. But I, I wanted to I wanted to also read something, you know, we've all heard, I mean most of us anyway, probably uh you know, when Luther was called in fifteen twenty one to come to what they call the Diet of Worms, and the the diet just mean you know, a formal deliberative assembly. Yeah, so they call you know, the diet, but you know, he had a he was called before the Emperor Charles and, you know, actually there was a lot of royalty there because the royalty and the church were intertwined. The church held massive political power. And, you know, of course, and then, you know, high church officials and that basically to, you know, get Luther to defend, but they were going to try to make him recant, right, because they were right. But at the end of that, in 1521, at the end, he... He was given the opportunity to recant. And instead he said this, and we know the short version. We've heard the short version before. And, uh, but I was actually really impressed by this, that considering the man knew, it, it, it got to be in the back of his mind because he was promised safe passage. But less than 100 years earlier, so was John Huss. So you could imagine, and you know, you think this, you know, the, the grace of the grace of God and the power of God and that, but that he could make a man that when you read the thesis that he put on the door four years earlier, you could tell this is actually a humble man. He was not looking for a direct confrontation. He was hoping that the church would be reformed, would would reform itself, and would, after being reasoned with through scripture. I don't know if any of you ever experienced that, but when you try to reason with an unbeliever through Scripture, it usually doesn't end well. That's why we have to stick with Scripture, though, because when it does, that has the power to save. That has the power to reform. But here's what he, what he, what he said. And imagine this. this was, uh, he, he was actually giving this formal defense, and he was going through this, giving all kinds of glory to God, hip, hip, bringing historical examples in, and, and really you can find his whole defense as he started it out there. It was actually rather lengthy. But it, 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 it's, it's really a very interesting and actually edifying thing to read, just his, his great opportunity to give witness to the glory of God. But then in the middle of it, he was challenged by uh, Emperor Charles V, saying, just answer us plainly. So he said, since your most serene majesty and your highnesses require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, 
I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. I don't know, when I, I was reading that, that's just so powerful, but the whole thing about it, when you read that, that, that old thing combined, what composure? You just got a picture. Here's a guy knowing that at any, what he's saying here could literally cause him to be burned at the stake and hung. They, they never like killing people just immediately. They love torching to death. But he, he stood there and he stood his ground, faithful, faithful. You know, and it's all you know to the glory of God. But when you you read about that at the at the risk risk of his own life, you know him and many many others like him during that during that time did. But uh, the main things that these men had in common. And the main things they all preached for was one that the scripture was the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. All the reformers believed this and fought for it and stood for it and stood against the powers of the age. All of them also attacked the use of to one degree or another, the use of relic worship, prayers to saints. You know, later on, because this whole Reformation went into the 1700s also, you know, this idea of the, the developing doctrine of Mary, everything else, they attacked everything about it. The Catholic Church they just saw the corruption. But the biggest thing, you notice, that they had in common where it, when it started out was someone even wanted and believed that the people needed the word of God in their own hands and that every believer had a right to be able to understand the word of God and read it for themselves because they all believed that's where the power was. And the Catholic Church did not want them to have that. They did not want them to have that. But on trying to put it down, it just spread it, it, just spread it further. And it's amazing that the way the Catholic Church and a lot of people will try to twist that, and they'll talk about the religious wars that came out of it in the mid-1500s and in the early 1600s. But what they don't mention is, for one, the Catholic Church also didn't want to lose its power because it loved its wealth. They owned all the lands. The Protestants and the Catholic armies at times didn't meet. The Protestant armies always in defense, because there's the Catholic armies that they were coming back to try to regain their power. Every place they were losing it, they tried to gain it back. And, and in some, some areas they succeeded, in others they didn't. But we, can, we just see that a lot of, there was a lot of martyrs 
during that time. There is more martyrs, and there still has been to this day, there is more Christians martyred by other, other so-called men of God than there have been by all the emperors, the kings. When they, when they extinguished the Huguenots, there's another group, the Huguenots in France, one night, at least 70,000, read many different materials, 70,000, and they kept them, that was one night, the, you know, the, the massacre, St. Bartholomew's massacre. When the Pope heard about it and the Cardinals, they all danced in glee, they marched up to her, congratulated her. They sang songs of praise because he had just crushed those horrible people who believed in the authority of the believer and the right to read the Bible and possess the Bible. That was the main offense. It's just hard, it's just hard to imagine that, that nowadays we see the same thing. We see, even though there have been splits in the church, and now we have, you know, we have Baptist, Presbyterian, you know, we, we have different ones in, you know, Methodist. Then we have various, you know, how many so-called different forms of Baptist, Presbyterians, Methodist, and the list goes on and on. But still, even though what's unfortunate, at least in the beginning, when all these different when all these different Protestant denominations, you know, started to form, the division between them in the beginning was usually minor. And it's kind of sad that they split up like that. But still, it was a lot better than the fact that, you know, one hierarchy, one man would control people's conscience and tell them, just tell them, what to believe, and they couldn't question it. But when I think of that now, the reason I bring that out, the thing that struck me the most about the Reformation, I want to talk about that, was what we owe to it, but the thing that really drove it and the thing that actually brought it about, and that was the power of the Word of God. These people used the Word of God. They started preaching it. They started publishing it. They started putting it in people's hands, right? Then God from all over, Europe bought masses, the masses of believers started to bring him to go up with them and be willing to stand against the Catholic Church along with them. And that shows us the power of the Word of God, and it's always the power of the Word of God. That's where our authority comes from. That is how we are saved. That's how we get to know God. That's how we develop and grow in our personal relationship with God. And now I look at today and I see the, what generally the church has become, right? And this whole idea of easy believism, this whole idea that the main function of the church seems to be for most people is, uh, well, we're to be kind to people and feed the poor, I guess, basically. Help the poor and be kind to people, be kind to everybody, is basically the Christianity I see. Don't offend anybody, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, put your mask on, right? You don't want to dare offend anybody. You know, and you see now, even in, even in churches that once used to be some of the, 
when I, when I was saved, when I was delivered out of the, when God bought me out of the word of faith when, when, I, when I came to the Lord, I got into the charismatic movement. And I'll be honest, in my own defense, I didn't know any better. <laughs> and there was some truth there. But that beside, I remember I started looking around because the one thing I remember in my mind was, well, the Baptists are pretty solid. And even around that time, that was, you know, that, that was 20 years ago. And that was, for the most part, true at that time. You know, the Baptists, and then later I found out Presbyterians. Were, of course, I didn't even realize at that time all the divisions within, you know, those denominations. But I found out really quick, attending, attending many different churches, that doctrine wasn't held to high esteem in a lot of them. And I saw that the main emphasis was like the, the church's mission was like to keep busy all the time, right? And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have this conference. And that was tomorrow starting to looking at, so what is the mission of the church? What is it as believers God has called us to be? What are some things, even though we can have differences and he calls us in any area of life, what to do and gives us different gifts, there is an overall mission. That were that we, he has called us all to. So it was he recall from Ecclesiastes, right? The end of Ecclesiastes. What's the whole duty of man? Right? I look around in this room and I see most of them sure can quote it and know it, right? The whole duty of man, right, is to fear God and keep his commandments. Guess what? That never changed. Jesus said, I love it when I hear the hymns we sing today. And some of them where we call, right, Jesus our friend. And that's true. But there's one caveat with that in Scripture. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So it's not that we're obedient and that purchases our salvation. But he does call us to obedience and he empowers us to obedience. It's not perfection. But for this teaching that we're not supposed to, you know, that that doesn't really matter. No, right? For be ye holy as I am holy. And these reformers fought for that too. In fact, a group well known to a lot of us, Puritans, right? They just say, oh, they were so legalistic. But really when you read their writings going to, were they? Is calling for obedience legalist? Then Jesus, Paul, John, Peter, they're all legalists. And I'll be mentioning that group. I got no problem. Am I perfect? No. Are we, are we perfect? Are we perfect this side of heaven? No. But we need to understand one thing, that not only that in Christ, in Christ alone, in his finished work and faith in him, has purchased our salvation. We are secure in him. But we cannot lose that salvation once we have it. But we will be judged in the end according to our works as far as rewards, loss, or loss or gain. But what I understand is what holds us back a lot of times, what I think people don't like talking about is the deliverance from the power of sin in our lives. And I think the more we realize that and the more we delve in and study the word, that's the power of the word, and strive, you know, strive, you know, 
God help me. This is Luther said, right? God help me. Right? And trusting in God to help us and to empower us to live for him. Again, not that we'll be perfect, but like one thing that uh, Luther, it, the first, the first number one on his 95 thesis was the Catholics had, the, the Latin Vulgate that they used at the time had misconstrued a place in Matthew, and they had it as, right, do penance and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When actually what it says, right, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So his argument against him was, right, it wasn't doing works, do penance, you know, and believe. And that's even today, to this very day, they teach that, right, that you do penance along with believing, right? They, they both go together. We cooperate in this salvation. But that's not true. It means that you repent. You repent of your thinking. You repent that you can do it in your own. You, you repent. You believe you can do it in works. That is true. Salvation is through faith in Christ and his finished work alone. And that we're secure in that. But we also need to understand that, right, he calls us to obedience. He says he'll empower it. He says the, the more we, we seek toward him and walk with him, we'll grow with him. He promises all that. And then one, one of the things we're doing right here, right, the word of God, we're gathering together in the saints, right? We, we're singing praises unto the Lord. We pray. All those things are graces he used to grow us. And we can believe that regardless what a lot of churches even teach now and worldly wisdom would teach, you can't teach a dog, you know, new tricks. And, well, I am who I am. Here's, here's I am. I can't change. Well, that's actually contradictory to the Bible. The Bible says, right, we have been given a new nature in Christ. Yes, we still have the flesh, but inside, right, we're new creatures in Christ. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We need to get back to believing that. And I'm not saying that, it, not just, well, in thought, okay, it says that. But when we look back sometimes, maybe we become so accustomed to church life, or, you know, walking with the Lord for so many years. Any of you that came, you know, like, Mike, I know you and me have a lot of the same story, but that maybe came to life kind of, as they say, sold their yotes, but uh, maybe weren't brought up in a Christian home. Uh, where I have no problem believing I was, <laughs> right? I, I could say I was, a, I was one of the chiefs out there, right? But, but sometimes we kind of forget where we come from. I remember there was a time in my life I had absolutely no desire to serve the Lord or please the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I do now. All glory be to him, right, to the power of him. I had no desire to ever come to church. I mean, you could not, I'm going to get up at, you know, 6 in the morning to get ready for a church or to study? Are you crazy? But I know I share that story with a lot of people that are here. A lot of us can, can relate to that. Sometimes what we get so used to it because we've kind of disciplined ourselves to it, but that's all part of it too. It's all the power of the word of God. When we think back, someone asked me just a little while ago, a dear Christian brother on that saying, you know, well, you know, where's uh, you know, the, the practical aspect of that? We were just talking about studying the word, reading the word of God. And then I said, well, you know, I understand that, but not everything in the word of God... It, to per se, shouldn't need a practical application. I mean, there are things about righteous living. 
But there's also a lot of the Word of God just to read about to understand His character. To actually take that power, the Holy Spirit takes that power and grows us. So we start understanding the attributes of God, who God is, and we start understanding His mercy and His love and His, his patience and His loving kindness and all those things in His power and His holiness, right? That's not like a practical thing. We, we, we don't take that and like uh, do this with it. It just changes us because we read it. But, you know, I'm going along, and I understand part of this doesn't necessarily talk with the Reformation, but I said it really, really had started. Really one of the greatest things, you know, it, was, it had always been there. It had always been there. But what God really did was because the church had become so corrupt, with the invention of the printing press in the late 1400s. There was no stopping it once Luther got a hold of it, because then Zwingli picked it up, and immediately after that, Calvin picked it up, and many other ones, those are just names that stick out. And once they did, and once they started printing for the masses, and all their material got out, there was no stopping it, because now so many of the faithful had the word of God for themselves. And it just comes back to the whole Reformation, you know, besides looking at the faithful men and women, <laughs> you know, and women, but just, you know, think of the people we hear about that, but think of those people that they could have saved their lives by recanting. They could have, but they didn't. They, they followed along. They, they, they trusted in this word because that's what a lot of them believed. The light had been extinguished. They were... The Catholic Church, the power that be, corrupt men, which had grown so corrupt, was trying to extinguish the light of the gospel in the world. And God was having none of it, <laughs> right? He's always had his remnant. He's always raised them up. But today, we're part of that remnant. You know, it was all, all the brethren. You know, if you're hearing you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ's sincerity, you know, <laughs> Trusting it in his finished works. You know, we're all that. And we're called. We're called to live our lives for him. It says, I'm going to quote the scripture, but you don't have to turn there, but Romans 12, 1 and 2. I just want to go over. We're going to be talking to specific aspects tomorrow about uh, the function of the church, the reason of the church, certain things the church is, and it's, And the reasons behind those things. Uh, you ever have that? Just a little brain gap there. But I want to talk to you just some foundational things of the church for every single believer. And that was the same for the Reformation and what drove, what drove those men. Because those men, the one thing they all had, all the Reformers, right, was a deep and growing knowledge and a love for the Word of God. And I'll tell you, when you have that, when you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Word of God, it's amazing what God can do through you. You know, that we look for it, me and our Brother John and, uh, and, and Mike were talking about that just before we opened on that, but when you read the 95 Theses, everyone kind of thinks he reformers, and some of them did. They really went to battle, but like Martin Luther specifically, he didn't want a big confrontation with the church, he was hoping he could reform it from within. But in the end, right, he knew that, the, that they would not submit to Scripture. All believers need to submit to Scripture. 
We are to submit to Scripture. Right? It's not what we think. It's not what we feel. It's what do the Scriptures teach? Because they dictate what I am to believe and therefore will lead me in how I act and behave. Right? But uh, a few things. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. It is unreasonable. It is illogical. You can even study it out. It is stupid to think otherwise. He's called us to live righteous. And he'll give us the power to do so. He has given us that power to walk in another world over and sing. But if we just repent, it's not that we always have to sit back in silence and think, okay, exactly what sin did I do today? I guarantee there's something. For one thing, we're supposed to live for him with all our heart, soul, strength, you know, and mind, right? Okay, did any one of us violate that to any degree today? To any degree. Okay. What he means is have a life, mindful repentance, mindful, nope, I live in Christ, right? I died in him, I rose again in him, right? I live in Christ, right, in his faith. But the second thing along with that, and, right, have our minds renewed according to the word of God. So we may come to know, right, and understand, right, his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And that's what he does. When we take that scripture, the Holy Spirit inside of us, and it'll build us up, and we'll start, we'll get to know him, and then to know his word, and get to be directed by the Holy Spirit and knowing what's what pleases him and what doesn't. And that's what Martin, that's one of the things Martin Luther, when he was saying it is not good nor safe for a Christian to deny his conscience. Right, because that's built in us through the Word of God. It's built up when it's in our new nature. <clears throat> the other thing that that the church is called to do is in Jude, and not the only things, but I mean they're an oversweeping thing. But something the church has always been called to do. By the way, one thing, just as a side note, because of the 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 Catholic Church's power and uh you know and in England they're fighting against it, but if you ever heard when they coronate the king or queen of England, they call him the defender of the faith. That that was all borne out in that because they were trying to break from the Catholic Church, but of course, you know, it didn't really have, you know, really care about the faith. They cared about keeping their power. But the church, each one of us sitting here right now is called to be a, defend, a defender of the faith. The church on earth, the actual true church of God, every member, every believer, is called to be a defender of the faith. And uh, I'll just say that in Jude, right? You know, I'll just read it out because actually, sometimes when we read scripture, when we read it, do we understand, oh, have, have I ever been there? Can I understand where this... Where this man was at, right? He's directed by the Holy Spirit to write this. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Amen. We're preserved in Jesus Christ. He knows you're saved, 
You become brethren, you know, men and women become believers, and you're preserved in Christ. I love that, and called, right? Talk about so many doctrines just right there. But mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. You know, I, I've been there. I just want to stop there before I talk about this. One time when I was preaching on this very, very passage, passage of Scripture. If any of you ever been in there, or you're maybe you're, you're talking to someone, or have you ever been you taught a you know a Bible study or something, and I, I wanted to talk so much about something uplifting, you know, something uplifting, and that's what he's saying here. I want to give all the and just talk about our common salvation. I'm sure. What was it going to be? Yeah, we're we're saved in Christ, you know. We're going to preserved in Christ. We we have eternal life now. That go. He wanted to talk about something. He just giving some uplifting sermon or teaching, or some greatly edifying thing to just build them up, you know, or a lot of times, you know, we've been accused here sometimes when you, when you, when you teach doctrine, doctrine divides, and it's, it's, it's such a downer, you know, but, but it isn't, but he wanted to, you know, talk about the common salvation, but it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye, remember, so who's the ye to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So, every Christian, every Christian who's preserved and called by and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And we could go on there, right, because he says, for certain men have crept in unawares, now, in the time of the Reformation, who were these men? Well, they had become the leaders of the church. And we see that now, too. You take a look at that. What does the world see as a church? It either sees the Catholic church, the pope, the clergy there, or they see people like Joel Olstein and Rick Warren and Joyce Meyer and people like that, all heretics, but... Also, some, and I'll just say this, sincerity doesn't matter, truth matters. I can sincerely, and I have at times, I told you there was a while I was in the charismatic movement, I sincerely believed and taught certain things that I regret today, but I can't go back and change that. Now, if I, if I can't tell the same people and refute that and say I was wrong, Maybe then, then I can maybe repair some of the damage that I have done to them. So sincerity is not the issue, right? Just like a doctor, he might sincerely want to, you know, uh, fix your heart, but accidentally then he cuts out your liver. Well, it was an accident, but the, the effects to your health is the same. Well, if you teach incorrect doctrine, the damage done to the believer is the absolute same, irregardless of whether you're sin sincerely wrong or if you're sincerely just a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? That you know you're wrong and you're, you're purposely lying. It doesn't matter. It ma God knows, and their judgment will, will be affected by their sincerity, but the effects of false teaching in all its forms and whatever that false teaching is. I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, whether whether you believe uh, 
the Lord's going to come pre, mid, post-tribulation or things like that, non-salvific. When it comes to any salvific matter, the truth matters, right? To, to teach something contrary to the, to the gospel, to the word of, to the character of God, to the character of Christ, to his person, to his work, is anathema. And the Catholic Church to this day calls everything that all good and righteous and everything that we preach and teach and believe about Christ and the gospel and the person of God, they call all that anathema. So, but I say that to say this, they had to contend with the church. Intense, we have to contend and the world. But the church is here for the edification of the saints. The church is here for when we gather, hey, and we know in every church at times there may, and, and a lot of times, especially on a Sunday morning and Christmas or Easter, there's probably a lot of unbelievers there. But regardless, the church, when we meet, isn't to save anybody. It's to edify one another. It's to comfort one another. It's to come together in corporate unity in that and praise God. It's, to, it's for teachers to, you know, the people with the gift of teaching to, you know, build up through the exhortation of the word. It's through the other members, through, the, through var various gifts. Remember it says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? You're making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. That's personal and that's unto one another. That's what we in a church are here for. And we have certain duties that we've been given, right? You know, to love one another, pray for another one, to build one another up, to, to teach one another, right? To stand by and with one another, but also to admonish one another if needed. But we are, a, we are the family of God, and that is what the church here is for. We're not supposed to keep busy. The church isn't here to feed the poor. We can do individual works like that if we want, but our main duty is defenders of the faith and preachers of the gospel. Right? That, that is our main duty. And beyond that, and then to always care for one another. Right? To always care for one another and follow God and serve God to the absolute best of our ability. To strive to do to the best of our ability at all times. And when we fall, we know we can run to him because we have advocate with the Father. Right? Jesus Christ the righteous. So with that... And I wanted to open up and give a, you know, a, a history in the Reformation. I want to talk the Reformation of the church. What came out of that, as I said about that, right before the Reformation, this, the very church at, time, at itself came against what we're doing right now, right? We owe, as I said before, the fact of we, the fruits of the Reformation are with us today, and there's those that would like to take it away, right? The in, our independence, right? But there's still, you know, things that we haven't, right? Just elders, we, you know, we have the we have the Bible fresh at our at our command. But now with all that, at the same time, do we use it? Do we walk in it? Do we study it? Not in order to become more knowledgeable than than Howard, you know, more knowledgeable than Mike, more knowledgeable than Dean, more knowledgeable than John. No. To grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? To grow our inner man, to strengthen our inner man, so our inner man becomes stronger. It is an old saying, right? Our outer man becomes weaker. And that's just a fact. And we owe that in as our reasonable service to do that. 
and that is really the Reformation all stood upon men standing on the power of the word of God. And that is the only way we're going to, if we're going to affect society to any great degree, to a good degree, for the Lord and his works, right? It'll only be through the power of the word of God. It is, only, it, it is the only thing. Even to reason people, reason with people. Trying to use worldly wisdom has never worked and it never goes well because then we have to compromise. And these men wouldn't compromise. And we're not to compromise. So with that, I just, you know, I'd like to close that. Uh, you know, I mentioned it before. The, these men... These men and these names that are, you know, synonymous with the Reformation that we know, you know, as I mentioned, Huss, Zwingli, Wycliffe, Luther, Calvin. We owe them that they were faithful men, and they were, and God used them mightily. But he wants to and will use, right, any faithful servant of his, maybe to various degrees, I mean, I guarantee you, some of these people you don't want to be. I mean, God's called us wherever he's called us. But let's just be willing to submit to him and just trust, trust in his care and whatever he wants us to lead us into. And just trust him that it all works together for good. Because his perfect will. We are the clay. He's our potter. We can trust him to do with us and in our lives Whatever he wills to happen, and that is always good. It may not immediately, we may suffer for it, but that doesn't matter because it, it says if, if we do, if we are called to that, we can still rest and trust in God because he's, he's bringing about his perfect will through that. And that's what it's all about, serving him and submitting to him and just trusting him in everything. We trust him with our salvation. We can trust him that in this short period of time compared to eternal life, our short period of time here on earth, waiting for his return, and we will, well, we will pass and go to see him before then. But while we're here, he calls us to serve him and walk with him and trust him. And he's given us everything we need already. Amen? With that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for giving us your word. We thank you so much for sending your son. And that through him, through faith in him, by your grace and power, we are saved. And we have eternal life through him and by your grace. And we you tell us not to worry about what we'll eat, you know, or, or the clothes we'll put on, or whether we're going to have a roof over our head. Not to worry about those things, but seek you first and your righteousness. But to walk with you, just to walk with you every day. You know, let tomorrow take care of itself. Just every day to just realize and know and help us to know you are with us. You are with us to the very end. You are with us forever. You've given us eternal life. You will never forsake us. Let us understand and totally take a hold of those promises 
and then when we do that, then we'll, we won't have that fear. We'll lose that fear, that, that fear of what can man do unto me. Lord, help us understand that our, our whole being, of every breath we take, is of you and by you. Let us not worry what man may say or what man may do or what possessions may come and go or our worldly comforts. Or in this present time as we see it, this society, the world the way it is today, at least in the West where we live here, is becoming increasingly evil. We see Romans 1 carried about before our very eyes so dramatically. And we don't know if you... You know, if you could re return at any moment, we don't know if this, you know, if this is in it for your return, but we definitely see unless, and we do pray for revival, Lord, but we know your will be done. But unless you're intervening in another, except another great revival and really another great reformation, we just see the, just, we just see the corruption and the immorality and the ungodliness among us. And in the vast majority of the so-called, you know, people of God today. Oh, Lord, help us, your true faithful, your remnant, those saved by your grace. Help us to walk with you. Help us, Lord, to, you know, teach us humility and patience and understanding. Help grow us up in power and grace and love. All according to and by you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Be glorified in all your people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.